everyone, and welcome to episode 118 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. We've got two segments for you this week. Kicking the show off, Mike, Alex, and Zach do a little listener mail before talking about games they've been playing over the past few weeks. And after that, uh, myself and Don talk all about Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Uh, Don's had the game now for about a week, so he can talk about the first four worlds of the game. So he's got a lot of interesting information that you might not know yet. Enjoy. All right, and welcome to this segment of Connectivity. Uh, we're going to do a little listener mail and some what you've been playing. Uh, I'm Mike Sklens, and I've got Alex Kalafi. Hi, guys. And Zach Miller. Say what? I feel like I should have said something after that, but I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> so um, we actually have listener mail for once. Whoa. So we're going to read it. I know. This is kind of... Groundbreaking. We haven't had listener mail in a long time, and I want to read every single piece that comes in. If you send in listener mail, I don't care how dumb it is, I will read it, even if it's only tangentially related to video games. I like that policy. That's pretty good. I mean, it gives anyone who even sends in the dumbest email nearly a 100% chance of getting read on the air. So yeah. get those sent in, guys. Yeah, send in listener mail. So um, we've got listener mail this week. It's from Adman, and he asks, If Iwata steps down, do you think he'll take a position similar to Miyamoto or Onuma with his own development team? He was responsible for very important franchises before becoming the CEO. Is there anything other than game creation Iwata might be qualified for? Most importantly, do you think his games would be any good if not up to the level of Miyamoto and Onuma's? I think he'd probably become uh, NCL's official banana handler. <laughs> That's a coveted role. Yeah, or the uh, the apologist, the uh, the corporate apologist. Oh, he could be like the uh, like the Iraqi um, information minister guy. There you go. Please understand. Yes, please understand. He could be that. He could be the professional apologist. Yeah. Yeah. So you think he's going to get pushed to the side if he uh, if he steps down? Most definitely, but he won't. I think I would probably leave. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's one of those I things agree. where like you can be on the board of trustees, but get the fuck out. Right. Oh, I would even go further than that. I would say, like, I know, like, we've heard a lot about Japanese policy and how, like, you don't really get fired. I do think if Iwata steps down, he's probably either going to make games or he's just out of the company. Like, I... Maybe he'll get some kind of role, but I feel like he's been a CEO so long that maybe he'd want to move on to uh, similar pastures. Maybe. I think if he did get back into game development, he would do a good job. I mean, he made some good good games in his career. Yeah, he was the balloon fight guy, right? He, I mean, he made Kirby. Yeah, Kirby. That's like his baby. Oh, that was him? That wasn't Sakurai? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not, you know, Link or Mario. Hold on, hold on a second, Mike. Kirby? I just want to point out how awesome a Sakurai-produced Kirby game would be. So he had nothing to do with this? No. Okay, now I know. Thank you. But holy crap, can you imagine? I mean, I would let him make almost any game. Oh, yeah. I want that about as much as I want Platinum to make Star Fox, so. Ugh, yes. So do you think he's qualified for anything else other than making games? I don't. I don't really know what other positions are open in the company that he could do. Yeah, I mean, me for a factual basis, I have no idea what else people do over there. 
Yeah, you really think of about that, and you're like, there's the guys who probably make the hardware, there's the guys who make the games, there's the guys who run the company, and then there's vaguely the stockholders. Yeah, the guys who make the decisions, the, the leaders, basically. But, I mean, I don't know that much about how Nintendo is, like, as a no whole one company. Does. It's like a mystery. Structured. Yeah. They're very secretive. They're, like, more secret than Apple secret. Yeah, that's true and scary. Do you guys have any other thoughts on this question, or should we just move on? So, I guess it also... It sounds like the second part to another question, which is, do you think Awada will step down? And the answer to that is no, well, he's already or at said the bare no. minimum, not yet. I think if it was going to happen, it would have happened last week with the yeah. with the dreadful stock report or whatever it was. I, I'm actually surprised report. he didn't make some kind of a, you know, token... I will take a pay cut, you know, statement. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's really shocking to me. I know, I mean, they did finally cave and say, oh, you know, maybe we'll, like, start exploring smartphones. What's that maybe. even mean? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it means what Sony is doing on it. I think it means, like, some knack puzzle game, some endless runner with Sony mascots. I think that's what Nintendo could do. And maybe also release them on the, uh, like the 3DS. I think they would use it as a method to promote their games and not as a way to release Virtual Console. Now, maybe that's a good thing to someone. Maybe that makes sense in some, uh, Nintendo world. They're not gonna do that. I think, you know, we'll probably see something like promotional games or promotional apps. Like, right. I mean, it's so obvious how much money a Pokedex app is just sitting there waiting to make. True. But that exists, I thought. Not an official sure. official one that's really well made. Are you one hundred percent positive? Maybe there is. Then I, I, well, we're maybe talking. It, is it Japan about. only? They could put the existing Pokedex app on the yeah. e, on iOS and make a billion dollars. They probably couldn't charge fifteen bucks for it like they are right now, but you know. Yeah, there's a uh, Pokedex for iOS. The official Pokedex for iPhone, iPod Touch, and iPad has finally arrived. What? Finally, after years of waiting, Mike, your dream has come true. Look at that, and it's only what is it, two ninety nine? Oh wow, one ninety nine. I wonder how much they're making on that. I would that bet a lot. Pure profit. I would hope a lot. It looks very similar, um, at least on the surface, to be like the three DS ones. Like it, it looks like it has the same uh, format. Well, that's nice because those character models are the real stars of that app. Oh yeah, especially yeah. in the uh, the they sequel. look pretty nice. The sequel app on 3DS, like, some of them look, like, ditto, look absolutely incredible in 3D. I need to get that for, it needs to go on sale, how about that? <laughs> needs to stop being, like, 20 bucks? Yeah. I don't know if it's 20, but it's, like, it's crazy. At least 15. It's cray. Yeah. That was a good question. It was. I, I agree. I hope uh, we get more questions, so thank you, Adman, and seriously, I'll read Pretty much anything. Mike will read yeah. anything for this show. At least yeah. make it vaguely Nintendo or video game related, if you want. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> All right, we're going to do some what we've been playing now. Uh, so I guess, uh, does one of you want to go first, or should I go first? I probably have the biggest games, but they're also kind of old. I want to you know hear what? what you think of these. I want to hear what you think of these two. Okay, well, I'm going to go with Super Mario 3D World first. I have not gotten to talk about this game, like, since it came out, and I 
got it at Christmas after spending like the better part of two and a half days trying to get the eShop to load up because I had to oh, buy yeah. an eShop credit. So that was that was a fun week. Uh, once I finally got it, though, I finally got to sink my sink my teeth into it in like a couple over a couple weekends, and I actually just beat it um, just this past weekend. I didn't realize how much time I'd sunk into it, and all of a sudden, I when I say I beat it, I mean I beat like the main the main final cat Bowser boss, yeah. not like all the extra shit after it. I haven't even started that stuff yet. Also, it, that was actually a mad huge spoiler. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But you know what? It's been out for like a month now. I, I mean, I guess it. Uh... Did I spoil it for one of you guys? I no, I, 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 the, I knew that it was a spoiler. I, I Mario is one of those things where I don't feel like you can spoil Mario. I'm sorry, I don't. There's no real plot, so there's nothing to spoil. I think there are surprises. I think let's say the. Uh... That second power-up that comes after you beat 3D Land for the first time, I think that's kind of a spoiler. Like, this, the fact that Bowser, well, for the anymore, first time, turns into a fucking, like, tiger cat monster. I yeah, think... I thought that was, by the way, I thought that was a very cool precedent where they're finally being like, oh yeah, Bowser can use the power-ups too. <laughs> you bet you didn't know that. It's been like 30 years. <laughs> it's something added to the deep Mario lore. Yeah. But I was, and you know what, I thought it was a really brilliant move. I was like, holy shit. And then the the final boss fight where you're climbing up, like, his skyscraper is incredibly cinematic. The most cinematic thing in any Mario game ever by a long shot. Huh. So, I mean, what do you what do you think of the game? I really liked it, but I, I, I came to the decision a couple of years ago that I think Mario 3D Land is my favorite Mario game ever. So this is just more of that for me. I just oh, okay. love it. It's really good. <laughs> Nice. So which game do you think is better now that you've played World? Because I'm in the camp of people who thinks Land was a uh, superior game. I still kind of think Land is better, but I haven't I haven't gotten into any of the, like, the really crazy bonus levels yet. So maybe I'll come around on World, I don't know. I, I feel like if I could play World in 3D, I would probably like it more. So, so it was actually the, uh, the visual design that... Yeah, well, the visual prefer. design of 3D Land is great, but the fact that... The, you have the ability to see the depth on the 3DS really makes it incredibly easy to navigate those levels. And there oh, are a yeah. couple times in 3D World where I would just completely miss a jump because I thought Mario was at like a totally different distance than he really was. That's yeah, true. I can see that happening. I definitely, uh, one reason I at least prefer 3D Land is that the levels, they feel really, really tight. Like, and this could be because it is made for one player. Like, these levels, they're very short in the same way Mario 3 levels were. They're very brisk, they're very fun, and they're very, like I said, tight. Compared to 3D World, where the levels are longer than I kind of want sometimes, and they're wider than I kind of want sometimes, since I generally play these games by myself, it, uh, I think, I think you can make a case that the level design in 3D World was a lot more creative, but the way the levels were paced was much more appealing to me in Land. I think I would probably agree with that, because there are some really incredibly awesome moments in 3D World, and then there are some other times where I really, I do think the levels aren't quite as tight, and they're, just, they're a little too big. Uh, Loose might be yeah, the, uh, the cause word. It's because ever, there has to be room for four players to stand, at the very least, there has to be room for that. Yep. And so there's a lot of spots where you can't really do a lot of tight platforming, everything's got to be fairly wide, and I do think that 3D Land has that tighter feel, but... 
but yeah, the world has some really crazy stuff. Like there's that Savannah level where all of a sudden it's just really huge. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then it's got, um, it's just got some really, really ingenious levels. I love the ones that use the platforms that switch as you jump. They flip between the red and the blue. And there were some of those in 3D Land 2, but I just love those levels. Those are just nerve-wracking. Same with the ones that have the beep blocks in them. I love those. I love all of those really crazy, like, tight platforming levels that don't really make any sense. They don't, they don't have, like, a real visual theme, usually. Or sometimes they'll have, like, a really crazy one. Like, one of the flipper block ones is, like, cake-themed, and you're running all over these giant cakes. <laughs> I don't understand, like, what are, what? how do they come up with these crazy themes for levels? They, they draw words out of hats? Huh, really? Oh, Mario is, by trade, really weird. Like, it is still about a plumber in a place called the Mushroom Kingdom. So Sprixie it doesn't throw Kingdom. me off. Sprixie Kingdom this Sprixie time, Kingdom. excuse me. <laughs> Despite the fact that they're still using mushrooms and flowers and stuff. Nothing is different. It's just Nothing is different. It just has a different yeah. name, and the pipes are transparent. Just, they crossed the border into the next kingdom over, and that's it's all basically the same. It's like Canada and America. They all blur together. <laughs> uh, so now that you've played the game, and I, I, you beat it in 2014, right? Yeah, I just beat it this past weekend. Okay, so now that it's 2014. And I've, and I've gotten all of the green stars, and I've hit the top of all the poles, and I've gotten all the stamps... In, I think, the first six worlds, I think the only two ones I have left to do are the castle worlds and the um, the Bowser theme park worlds. So you like this game quite a bit. You've played it in 2014. Let's say you had to go back and you had to retroactively change your uh, whatever game of the year list you came up with. Where do you think this would place on that list, do you think? Oh, I never play enough games to really put together a good list. Was it? Do you um, think it's the best game you played last year, though? It might be. It's. It might be. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I did not play The Last of Us, so and now my PlayStation <laughs> is dead, so I won't play it until they release a new version of it, and then I also buy a PlayStation Four to play that new version on. Yeah. But I think it might be my favorite game of the year. These are the kind of games that I really, really, really enjoy because they remind me of the games I played when I was a kid. They're just really super modern versions of them. Yeah, I think one thing I can definitely praise this game for is, and especially the Mario series, is that even the 3D games, they still feel like they come from the original Mario roots. Yeah, there really is a lot of that still in, still in there. Just, it's really tight, and I almost... For a while, I was like, I really like Mario 64, and I really like Mario Sunshine, because they really like fleshed out full worlds. Like, really full worlds. Like, Delfino Plaza, you can run all over it. It's like a real, like, island town. And then you get into Galaxy, and it does this whole crazy thing with, like, the planets. But 3D World and 3D Land really are the most modern expression of classic platforming gameplay that they've ever done. They've gone back to the roots, but because it's all very linear now, unlike before with Galaxy where you're running all over the place... And then the previous games that usually had these big open landscapes, like uh, like Mario 64, like the bob on Battlefield, it's like a big open area. The levels now have all shrunk down, and they've gotten either all... They're all very straight, though sometimes it's vertical, and sometimes it's horizontal. Right. Yeah. I really like that aspect of them. It's it, it's so basic and simple, but they've done, they've done absolutely the craziest stuff with it somehow. I just hope they don't fall into the uh, the new Super Mario Brothers trend 
and basically these end up being the two Mario series that exist, New Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario 3D something. Like, I hope they keep... Yeah, I hope this doesn't going. get stale. I hope it... Uh, there's th- Each of the formats seems to be good for about two to three games before they really need to shake it up. I mean, like how Nintendo has the three pillars, they should have the three pillars of Mario 2. They should have the 2D, the 3D uh, world-type stuff, and then they should have the 3D weird stuff, like the uh, the Sunshine, the Galaxy, the 64, and like whatever idea they come up with next. Yeah, I mean, and you can see the roots of this go back into Sunshine, where there's every now and then there's a really crazy level mm-hmm. in yeah. Sunshine that's usually like a sub-level hidden inside of a level, where it's just the most insanely difficult platforming parts of the game, those and that's the, basically... The best parts of that game. Those are the best parts of that game, and that those the parts of that game are where 3D Land and 3D World came from, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I love the shit out of that game. It's Absolutely. really good. <laughs> and talking about it now, I realizing how much more I really do love it. But I still think 3D Land is a teensy bit better. I mean, it's it's also has a lot to live up to. I mean, that, like 3D Land's no slouch to live up to. Yeah, and it's hard to beat the innovator, you know. Right. Yeah. So that was the one big game I wanted to talk about. Um, let's move on to Alex. What do you got? So I've been playing Pushmo. Now, before you skip ahead in the podcast, because I've been playing Pushmo. <laughs> I already did. <laughs> <laughs> time traveled. I'm, I'm wow. going to look at Pushmo from a different perspective. Because like many people, when I got Pushmo in like 2011, I got like three quarters through the game. I had fun with this fun puzzle platformer. And as soon as the game got difficult... I stopped, and I put it down, and I never played it again. Yep. So recently, I ran out of games to play, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll check out Pushmo. And then I started playing Pushmo, and I kept playing Pushmo. And by now, as of this podcast, I think the second half of Pushmo is the best-kept secret on the entire Nintendo eShop. Because I'll, I'll tell you what this game starts as. What it starts as is a puzzle platformer sort of thing. That is more puzzle than platformer, but it's fun. It is kind of brisk. It's more about pulling blocks and seeing how far you can climb with what you've got in front of you. But once Pushmo gets hard and once you see the final stages of that game, when you get the four-star levels and the five-star levels, it turns into a very hardcore puzzle game and a very fun hardcore puzzle game. And... Instead of just, okay, what do I need to do on this next level? How can I climb up next? The levels start becoming acts of sort of reverse engineering them a little. Like, okay, what do I gotta do to get to the very top? Because, like, these puzzles are now, like, 32 by 32. So now you start basically working it out in your head what you gotta do next. And it's not so bad that you gotta, like, basically get out a pen and paper. But it makes you think like you're playing a real puzzle game. And I just think I had way more fun playing it as a really hard game than I ever did playing it as a fun little eShop diversion. And I ended up actually beating Pushmo. Like, I started, like, at around 7 hours, like a lot of people, when I stopped. And now I have, like, 20. Wow. And, wow. Uh, I, I guess, I guess to anyone who has Pushmo and is was in the same shape us three were, where we got three quarters of the way through, and then we stopped and moved on to something else, I really, really encourage everyone to, if they get the will, to try to pick up Pushmo again just to see what the second half of that game offers. Because I think it is a very, very different game than the first half if you're willing to give it a chance. Hmm. I don't remember how far I got into it, but I I don't think I could have gotten more than 70% of the way through at the most. It's probably somewhere between half and 70. I I didn't even get there. 
there, there was a puzzle that just made me angry, and I was like, you know what? I don't need this anymore. Yeah, that's what happened to me, so I hit one puzzle, and I was just like, I, I don't understand. My brain doesn't – we'll never figure this one out. Yeah. And I just stopped. It's I, I, But I think that's where a lot of the fun of this game comes from for me. And I understand if it's not that way for everyone. But I do like those puzzles where it's hard, and I just got to look at them, and I got to keep trying different methods. Because this is a game – that uh, on these puzzles, you can very much play around with them. There are multiple approaches, and you can try which one works. And it's not a huge ordeal, since the game, as some of you might remember, has the rewind and fast... Not fast-forward, but it has the rewind feature, at least. Yeah, yeah. the rewind feature is the only thing that keeps you from wanting to murder yourself. Exactly. You your DS in half. And it, it's a brilliant feature that makes it more accessible without casualizing the game. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, it's just like a trap. Yeah. We know you. We know you can make it this far, so we're not going to make you do the first six steps every single time you screw it up, right? Because we know you can do them because you did them the first time. But it's uh, and that game has a lot more content than you think. I I guess push most spoiler alert. The game's been out since 2011, but once you beat the game, there are in fact even harder puzzles to get <laughs> oh, to. God. Like how there's 18 puzzles in each world, and after you beat like those. 200 puzzles, there's three more worlds of 18. Oh my god. So, uh, wow. so it's, it's kind of uh, like Mario where, you know, you beat Bowser, but you've really only taken out about 70% of the content by doing that. Yeah. it's I would call it a bit like 3D World with the way it has the uh, the post-game content. Uh, but no, I think it's an excellent game. I think Pushmo, the second half of Pushmo is again the best kept secret on the 3DS eShop. It is tough it is fun, and it is a very different game than the early parts of Pushmo. Well, I'll tell you, just just for me personally, I've, I, it seems like I've gotten, I don't know, at a point in my gaming life where if something frustrates me, I just say, you know what, I don't have time for this, and I just go to something else that doesn't frustrate me. And and I, I, I think I'm maybe I'm too old and I'm too set in my ways, but I don't like things having to take a while anymore. Oh, Zach, you and I are of the same ilk. You know, it's like it's like Pushmo's not working for me, so I'll go to this other eShop game that I haven't beaten, and let's see what happens there. The same thing happened to me with Mutant Muds on the Wii U, because that shit gets hard. Oh, yeah, it like, does get really hard. hard. Yeah. I have it on 3DS. I, I beat all the content on it, but yeah, I can see that game being really frustrating. I think what I'll say, though, is uh, because it's an eShop game, because it's a puzzle game, it's very easy to pick up and put down. Like, even if I spent 20 minutes on a single puzzle, I could easily put it down, come back the next day, do three puzzles. Like, it doesn't demand your time that much because it's a puzzle game. And if you're stuck on a puzzle, like, just give up, come back another day. I mean, I, I know not everyone can do that, and I don't blame everyone for doing that, for not wanting to do that. But, uh, I think it's really fun. Like, it really... It hit a nerve that the first half of the game didn't, and I'm very happy that uh, a game that would have been stuck in my backlog forever, and was stuck in my backlog for like two years, <laughs> I can now say I have beaten on yeah. some level. Right on. Nice. Well, what do I do, Zach? Well, can, uh, what's the first game you want to talk about? Uh, I'll talk about SteamWorld Dig. I got this a long time ago, um, several months ago, I think, and I played it for a while, um, and if, if you haven't played SteamWorld Dig, if anyone in our audience hasn't played it, it's, 
it's been it was described to me it was sold to me as a metroidvania game um i need to start taking that warning a little or that uh label a little less less seriously um what it really is is you're this little robot who's got a pickaxe and you just dig i mean you you break blocks to get gems forever and i mean that's the whole game and Sometimes they'll find a room to go in with kind of a more specific uh, environmental puzzle to solve, and those are fun. But then when you get back into the kind of overworld section, you're just digging and digging and digging. And, digging. and, and you find gems, and you take them back to the surface, which in itself takes forever. And you sell the gems, and you buy stuff, you buy better gear, and then you dig a little faster. And uh, So it's kind of a, a, a carrot, a stick and carrot kind of game, and I – Got sick of it pretty quickly, um, and I turned it off. <laughs> I, I vowed never to play it again, uh, but for some reason I turned it on the last few days, and I was like, I wonder how, how much longer this is, because people told me it was a short game. And I've gotten, kind of gotten back into it. I, I think I got stuck in a section of the game that's slow, where you're really not finding those that, mon- that much treasure, so you're not progressing as fast as you'd like. Uh, but now I'm at a point where I've maxed out the shops, so I'm just buying things and kind of making progress in the environments. And you can tell that you're kind of moving towards a goal now. And I, I like it. I mean, I just got a double jump and, you know, you have three different ways to dig. And I know that sounds terrible, but uh, it makes some sense. <laughs> Three different ways to dig. <laughs> Selling point. Yeah, I know. You have a pickaxe, a drill, and a projectile. Um, but I, I'm getting I, – I can tell I'm getting close to the end. Um, but I, I really don't know if I'd recommend people get it. It's just kind of a very repetitious game, especially early on. It's just super repetitious. So It sounds like a grind. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, if you watch videos, the, the videos kind of the, – the video on the eShop shows off the best possible aspects of the game and skips all the drudgery. Um, <laughs> skips all the, you know, oh, the, all, all these parts we showed you was awesome, but you have to get there first. So, you know, the getting there kind of sucks. So so I uh, I did play – this I gave up on it, yeah. and to this to me this game is a very certain kind of addictive game where it's very much about leveling up extremely quickly yeah. and getting a little bit further, leveling up, getting a little bit further, and I think in trying to do that it does that very well. But I've also played a lot of games that do that kind of thing before and better. Yeah, like it it reminds me a lot of a of a much better iOS game maybe. Like how it how it does that thing, like it, it's addicting. It is constantly leveling yeah, I, up. Yeah, I can kind of see it as an iOS game. It's like Tiny Death Star, where I just built it and built it and built it, and then one day I didn't, and then I never did again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is a side scroller. You know, it's not a uh, sim or anything, but, but it has more mechanics. It's an actual game. Yeah, it's an actual game. You jump and you dig basically, and um, but yeah, there's just a whole lot of digging. I mean, God, <laughs> they weren't kidding. I mean, it's I, called SteamWorld Dig. I like the aesthetic. I like the little cute little robots and, and the idea that you're digging to the center of the earth. But, uh, God, 
It's got to be an easier way. Yeah. Get a bigger drill. Get a bigger drill, yeah. Well, it takes you a really long time to get the first drill. You don't even start with a drill. You're a no. robot that digs, and you don't even start with a drill. You, you start you with a, earn it. a really shitty pickaxe. <laughs> <laughs> That's preposterous. You're a robot. And, and Mike, the thing about it is, is it takes you, like, four chips, four or five chips with this pickaxe to break a block. So you're just sitting there wearing out your A button trying to get to the next gem. So the game actually starts out at its most boring. Yeah, great way to start a game. But yes. I would also argue it has to do that. Uh, well, maybe there's a better way, but I think that the way I, don't I see know, it, man. it has to Simis do that. Simus starts with all her gear and just loses it five minutes in. It's pretty <laughs> easy. Because I think I think it's good for this game because as soon as you get the second pickaxe, those blocks that were taking four or five now take one, and you just start slashing yeah, down yes. into the earth. And it yes, feels Alex, really, then, really good. Then the deeper blocks then take four or five hits because they're harder so you have to go back i told to the you surface. i gave up on it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mike samus starts out with all of her gear but then she uh, is only able to use it when given permission <laughs> <laughs> you know that game wasn't so bad yeah it was that's a conversation for another day that's, that's an essay i need the to write. game itself is perfectly good the story is terrible that's all you need to know about it yeah we're not going to talk about uh, Metroid Other M, even though I do enjoy it. Um, but the other game I want to talk about is Link Between Worlds, because I also haven't really had a chance to talk about that. It's hard to be on a podcast when you're busy doing things like getting engaged. I'm sorry. Well, congratulations, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> I can just blame everything on it. It's amazing. I like that Christmas <laughs> card, by the way. That was awesome. Thank you. Um, that, that was all Amanda. Yeah, no, I, I did come up with the idea to put the stupid dog jokes on the back. Um, so but, no, I want to talk about Link Between Worlds because I, I got that shit the day it came out. I bought the golden 3DS XL because I didn't nice. have an XL and I really wanted one. That thing's killer. Uh, Amanda has my old DS now, so now she can play Animal Crossing basically all day on it. That's what it's for. Um, so that is what it's for now. Uh, but Link Between Worlds is amazing. And I am probably in a more unique position than most people on this podcast in that I did not really play Link to the Past ever. Really? I didn't either. I what? tried to get into it a couple times, and I think I've explained this on the podcast, that I was dumb when I was a kid, and everyone called, well, first of all, A, people were dumb, because a lot of them, people at the time referred to Zelda as a, quote, action RPG. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Which is a term that is total bullshit. Oh, they, they were still calling uh, it that with Ocarina of Time. Yeah, and I don't understand why, but as a kid, I had played a couple RPGs, and I didn't like them. So then everyone's like, oh, oh yeah. Zelda's an action RPG, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to like it then. I don't like RPGs. So I didn't play them until eventually I played Ocarina of Time, because I was like, well, this looks really cool. Maybe I'll give it a shot. And that's I've played and loved all the 3D Zelda games, but the 2D Zelda games, I've only sporadically gotten into. I've only ever, probably only even touched about half of them. Okay. And I've only beaten, I think, two or maybe three of them. Well, let's talk about how awesome Link Between Worlds is. It's awesome. Dude. It's really super streamlined. It, I, it just the simple shift of pretty much dropping you into a position where you can pretty much do whatever the fuck you want, like, after the first act yeah. is awesome. It is the best. There is no, to, to use one of your words, Zach, there is no drudgery in this game. <laughs> That's true. Very true. It's pure action. You're always the making progress. Yeah, and if you're not, you're hunting down baby octopuses. 
I got them all. I found all of them. All of them. Hell yeah. Totally worth it. The super spin attack is incredible. It is. How far are you, Mike? I beat it. I, I beat it months, like, uh, I beat it, like, right before, I think right before or right after, right around, this, or right around the same time as I got 3D, um, 3D World. So I beat it right around Christmas. Okay. So, uh, I guess, to pull up the James Jones complaint that I very much agreed with, I kind of thought the game was too easy. Oh, it's super easy. But I love yeah, that about easy. it. I thought it was e- so easy it was boring. I, I like and, a game not to stress me out. I was perfectly happy with it. And that, that's okay. It's just, and I also didn't like how short the dungeons were. Oh, yeah. Thought, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're shorter by necessity because they basically start you at the point where you already have the item, which is normally about halfway through the dungeon. True. I, I did have some, I, did, I had some trouble with some of the dungeons. They, the, the, my problem with the dungeon was not that necessarily they were easy or short, but they all felt very uh, generic. Um, you know, in, in Ocarina of Time or, or, or uh, Link to the Past, each dungeon was very, had very much character. And um, I felt like the only dungeons in this game that had character were, was Desert, Desert Dungeon and the Ice Dungeon. Uh, and I guess the fire dungeon, but, but the rest of them were all kind of, you know, generically dark and, uh, bright. What is the first and... dungeon you guys did? Um, I don't remember. Like, I played it when it, around when it came out. I think the I generally dark, just the, did the closest one around me. You did the bomb dungeon, what, what, whichever one that was. Is that the Thieves' Den? No, I hated the, the Thieves' Den. The Thieves' Den is the first one. That was my favorite dungeon. Oh, really? God, I hated that. It had the best boss by far. That's true. The boss was good. Um... Although I like, I like the new Helmosaur King. He was kind of cool. Which one's that? The dude where you smash his helmet with your hammer and then you... The dinosaur boss. That's the ice dungeon, right? The, the ice uh, dungeon? The one where you keep dropping, basically. Maybe. Well, I guess that's all the dungeons. Yeah. No, it's... We all uh, can't even remember Who cares? Right I remember thinking that a lot... Uh, the dungeons I all liked, I thought they were all good. They had, They had just enough, like trickiness to them where you had to sit there and figure it out sometimes, but by and large you could pretty much go right through them, which is kind of how the whole game felt, where, like yeah. you said, Zach, I don't like to be stressed out by a game anymore. I'm old. Uh, I just <laughs> want to play a game that I can just churn through, and Zelda, the new, this new Zelda game is pretty much, you can churn through it, and it's enjoyable the whole way through. Exactly. Normally, it's, normally a game like that would be boring, and you'd be like, oh, you know, this is kind of not good, but consistent quality of Link Between Worlds just shines above all of that and lets it lets it just be super entertaining. Yeah. And it is. Did you ever feel really like good. the... Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, but, go ahead. Uh, did, did you ever feel like that the free... Basically how it was designed so you could go to any dungeon in order. Well, to, in some capacity at least. Did you feel like that cost uh, the progression of the game? Like, did you feel like Two dungeons in a row were going to be roughly the same difficulty. Yeah, that's, I, there is an issue yeah. there where the dungeons are all roughly the same difficulty, and they don't they don't ramp up as you go through them. But yeah. um, I don't know. I don't think it's a huge deal. I, I didn't care at all. I, I guess we want different things. I, would, I, I I felt like that a little bit, and that it left a little bit to be desired. I think they could have made up for it if the last dungeon was a little bit harder. Yeah, the last I mean, it dungeon was, was a it piece was harder of cake. than the other ones, but it was still too easy. Yeah. Like, it should have been difficult. It should have been a boss level. Yeah. But other than that, um, it does kind of stifle the plot too because it basically flattens 
like the entire second act of the game out to where it kind of all just happens at once. Like nothing really happens during the second act. It's a bunch of stuff happens and then Link has to beat all these dungeons and then yeah. the rest of the stuff happens. Yeah. But I just then that was a minor issue. But then again, the plots in the handheld Zelda games have never really been like anywhere near as epic as the ones in the console games. So I like how this. Uh, I think the biggest problem with Link Between Worlds is that it very clearly started out as a remake of Link to the Past, and like they had to shoehorn this Loralu crap in there. Uh, when you mean it's no, it's it's low rule. Whatever it's called, high rule, low yeah. rule. Get oh, it? I see. That's it's stupid. stupid. It's really stupid. Um, all right, that makes sense, but it's dumb. Um, uh, but it's like it's very clearly the dark world. It's not a different place. So that that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way when when they were explaining, oh no, this is a whole different place, and we used to have a Triforce. And I'm like, no, it's it's the freaking dark world. All the bad guys are the same. The dungeons are different though. That's what matters. Yeah, they are. It's a good game. It's it's, so, yeah, it's great. It's it's a good. Oh, and then I do want to talk about the Street Pass feature, which I love. I actually like it too. Yeah. I like getting it the little cheap. It's one of the best Street Pass features in any game. It's exactly what I want Street Pass to be. It's just it's something completely, pretty much optional. It doesn't have any real effect on the gameplay, and it's just fun. It's just stupid and fun because you're like, yeah, I beat the shit out of Link, or you're like, yeah, my Link's gonna beat the shit out of you. <laughs> I beat a guy with the super uh, uh, net, super bug catching net the other day. That was pretty cool. You beat him with the net. Yeah. Like you hit him with it? Once you get the uh, super bug-catching bug net, it does damage to enemies. Oh, wow. I think that's, the, like, the one thing I didn't get. Yeah, you have to go through... I did through, get the B-badge. You have to go through the uh, Tower of Terror twice on the hardest difficulty to get the... You get a super bug-catching net, and you get a super um, lantern. They, they just do damage to enemies. The most boring items in the game yeah, are exactly. the most difficult to obtain. Yeah. That's funny. I did get that B badge. I like the B badge a lot. Yeah, I did too. Because I, I, I didn't know what it was going to do, and all of a sudden, like, there's a B, and I'm like, oh, I got to run away from this stupid B. I don't know, and the B starts killing dudes for me. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, Link Between Worlds, super great. Uh, and then what was your other game, Alex? So, I, I think it's kind of tough to uh, talk shit about A Link Between Worlds because I got to talk about another game I like this week. And that game is Epic Mickey 2 on the PlayStation Vita. You like it? Just why would you I'm going to talk this? about this game a little. Oh, God. I'm going to talk about it a little. I uh I I guess full disclaimer here. I love the original Epic Mickey. I thought uh Warren Spector and Junction Point actually did what they set out to do. They made a game about how Mickey Mouse used to be and they made it extremely faithful and they made it in this cool N64 style platformer. For the Wii, and so I think as I really a big... like it too. I'm I'm a huge Disney nerd, and I loved Epic Mickey. I mean, it's got some flaws certainly, but it is a sound game at the core of it. It's quite good. It's very classic. Its its design is very classic for better and for worse. Like it does have the same N64 problems of the camera not being very good. Uh, but it's I really like the game. I really like how it respected the fact that Mickey Mouse used to be a real character who was mischievous, and he had weird friends like Horse Horse Collar, and uh, I like that... But you, but you like Epic Mickey 2 as well? I like Epic Mickey 2. Well, I played the Wii version when it came out. I reviewed that. That was the best version of the game. 
I played. I see. I got the other end of the stick. I played the Wii U version. Right, and you had a really awful. bad time. It's really not good. And I thought Epic Mickey Two. I gave it a six five. I thought it was pretty good. Well, no, not pretty good. I thought it was decent with some really significant flaws. It was a very disappointing sequel, and it had some very core problems, like a questionable flame frame rate and an AI partner. Frame rate. And an AI partner who wasn't always perfect, which I guess would be too nice to say about the Wii U version. <laughs> <laughs> but the PlayStation Vita version, I bought it for seven fifty at the PlayStation Network sale. That was the fourteen for fourteen. It's over now. Um I got it for seven fifty and I didn't expect much because it's the PlayStation Vita version of a console game, and I thought it was going to have horrible frame rate and all this, so I didn't know why I bought it, but I did, because I <laughs> wanted to spend my money on something. Alright, JP. And it uh, it's the best version of the game, at least compared to the Wii one, which was the best version of the game before that. And the reason it's the best game, the best version of the game, is that it fixes a lot of the AI problems. It fixes a lot of the frame rate issues, and it makes the game not feel like a chore to get through. Can like you I touch never... on shit to shoot paint at it? Yes. Oh, that's what it... That, you cannot do that on the Wii U version, and I, I, I was so infuriated by that. You can't use the remote, and you can't use the nunchuck as the pointer. You have to use the gamepad, and you can only play it with traditional style controls. You can't touch shit on the screen. And here's the twist. Here's the twist. The touch controls, even though they work as well as they could, it's not the ideal way to play it. Because the thing is, the Vita has a 5-inch screen. When you put your fingertip on it, you can't see the stuff you're actually shooting at. Which is a big fatal flaw. That wouldn't have happened in the Wii U version, because you would have been able to keep a stylus on the screen, Kid Icarus style, while while you could see the paint and thinner on the television. But it, it has those improved things, and I went through the game, and I beat it. And I, and I don't know if I did that in the original Wii version, I, because I don't remember the final boss that I fought until I beat it in the Vita version. And it's definitely a worse game than the original Epic Mickey. It doesn't have the same inventive imagination. The original Epic Mickey felt like they threw everything at the wall. It felt like they threw all of the classic elements from Mickey Mouse and a lot of the lost Disney stuff that they wanted to put in the game. And Epic Mickey 2 felt like they were scraping the barrel a bit to find cool uh, relics to find. But it's still a good platformer once you fix the AI issues and once you fix the uh, the frame rate issues. Like, it's like it, uh, it still plays like the original Epic Mickey with a paint and thinner. And you still solve the paint and thinner puzzles with the uh, playstyle matters. Like, you know... If you throw paint on something, and if you try to fix the world, it's a harder task, but you get rewarded for it. Or you can use thinner, you can erase the world, but it's a uh, it's a much easier game, but you're kind of an asshole. <laughs> That's basically the point of Epic Mickey. Playing with thinner on the Wii U version actually made the game remarkably easier to play, because as you erase things from the environment, the frame rate improved. Oh, I remember <laughs> you saying that. Yeah. That's so That's depressing. Awesome. Maddening. Oh, it makes me so angry how bad the version of the game is. I actually do remember that in the uh, the Wii version because because the Oswald AI wasn't that perfect when you had to use his electricity powers on something. Sometimes I just threw thinner 
at uh, whatever Why obstacle does he have electricity like powers? That doesn't even make sense. It's, it's, special it's, remote control. Yeah, he has a remote. It's oh. there to give Oswald something, because he couldn't also have paint and thinner. I guess not. Yeah, that would kill the frame rate way too much. But the uh, the way I play with this is with the sticks and with the L and R buttons on the Vita to shoot. And like a, a controller version of Epic Mickey doesn't sound like it'd be very good, but it controls decent enough once you play with the sensitivity a little. Like, I'm not saying it's the best game in the world, it's still a disappointing sequel, but once you play Epic Mickey 2 in its ideal state, which is, strangely enough, on PlayStation Vita, it's not that bad of a game, uh, even if, like I said, not nearly as good as the original. And also, there will never be an Epic Mickey 3, because Junction Point closed down. Dead, which is sad, and... which is sad, and I'm gonna, I don't know, I'm probably a horrible name dropper now, but when I was at Disneyland talking to Warren Spector, he was talking about all this cool, all these cool fucking ideas they had to do some Epcot shit for Epic Mickey 3. And you know what? Like, oh, please! After you beat Epic Mickey 2, there is an amazing premise for the third Epic Go Mickey on, game. Go on, tell us what it that is. That goes so far away. Alright, do you want me to tell you? Okay. So, spoiler alert, go forward about two minutes. I'll try to make it very, very quick. Okay, so, it's after you beat Epic Mickey 2, and you take care of the Mad Doctor, uh, for better or worse, whatever you do, the Mad Doctor plot is done, and it feels like the game is wrapped up. So, you have your ending, Oswald and Mickey, high five, everything's cool, and then the game ends, and then the credits roll, and it comes back. And all the Pete's that you saw in Epic Mickey and Epic Mickey 2 come back and they start laughing like they got some shit in store for Mickey. So it looked like the premise of Epic Mickey 3 was all of these uh, Pete's that were all over the world in the first two games are now coming together to form one super Pete threat against Mickey and Oswald. And as a Disney fan, that is such a cool idea to do all these forgotten Pete's and all of these lesser known Pete's like the... uh, like, all the ones from, like, the comics and all that coming together to fight Mickey in one final game. And that will never happen. It will never happen. It's okay. The first Epic Mickey game exists. The original Epic Mickey cartoon... I mean, the original Mickey Mouse cartoons that inspired Epic Mickey still exist. Those are still awesome. I at least have those. Yeah. <sighs> so, Zach, what else have you been playing? Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is Earthbound. Um, Ooh. I know. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been following me on Twitter, but I don't like Earthbound. Um, mm-hmm. I feel that Earthbound is a poorly made RPG. Uh, okay. In an age where there were better RPGs. I would argue that Dragon Warrior is a better RPG. Um, yes, the one that you got with your... Nintendo Power subscription in, like, 1989. Um, And let me tell you why. Because Earthbound uh, has no... The the people who made Earthbound had no idea how to balance the early hours of an RPG. Correct. Okay, you got your coiled snakes, which kill you in one hit uh, at the beginning of the game. Once Once you grind up enough to kill the coiled snakes... You get to the random thugs on the street in Onet who kill you in one hit. Um, once you kind of brute force them and spend all your money on, uh, well, you either spend all your money on health items to restock between fights or you just end up dying a lot and going back home. 
then you then you go to the the first dungeon area with a mouse that critical hits you like 80% of the time and i just i couldn't i i can't tell you how much i fucking hate earthbound um and plus you're missing half the time you, your your hits you know, your attacks miss half the time and uh and the first boss you know i I beat him after hate playing the game for like two hours and grinding <laughs> and grinding in that cave alone and never leaving and just dying. I'd die. I played it like it was a roguelike. I'd die and I'd go back to my house and I'd restock my health and my magic and then I'd go back to that stupid cave and fight more mice and ants. Ants kill you in this game. And uh, I just leveled up to like level 13 where I was killing ants in one hit. Ants, people! And then I killed the giant ant by uh, spamming my psychic powers. And and then I put the game down for a while. And I haven't put it picked it back up yet. But holy shit, I hate Earthbound. Why do people love it so much? I felt the same way. I've, I felt the same way, and I think I've... I finally got it on Wii U. I tried to say I'm going to try it one more time. Me too. That's where I got it. uh, Yeah. Because, like, okay, finally, you know, I do want to support Nintendo releasing these classic games that people really want, so I also kind of bought it for that reason, um, to show them that, yes, we will buy these things if you let us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I I felt the same way, and I I did the grind through it. Save states helped a bit. They make things a little bit less frustrating. Uh, You can save state before... Like, you know, you, as soon as you walk into a room, so you make sure you do that room yeah. pretty well and yeah. save state when you get through it. I did that I, a lot. Sorry, fuck you haters, I'm going to use it. It makes the game far less stressful. Um, and then I just kind of stopped because something else grabbed my attention and I haven't gotten back to it. But I ended up, like, I've actually really started enjoying it now. I don't even have, I don't even, I haven't even gotten to Pooh yet. I've still just got um, the, the three first characters, but... Uh, I have enjoyed it much more, and I, if I ever sink back into it, I'll probably pick it up and play it for, like, another month, and maybe I'll beat it this time. So do you just have to get, is it like SteamWorld Dig, where you have to get past the first several hours of suck to get to the yeah. good stuff? Oh, man. Yeah, once, the what happens is once you, once you get two people in your party, that helps a lot, um... But once you get up to three people, then it really starts helping. The only bummer with the game is that everyone, when they join the party, they start at level zero, which is so oh, dumb. Oh, Jesus. So, but they, you know, they they level up, and they catch up pretty quick, but they're always trailing behind as a result of that. Which kind of stinks. How did they, uh, how did they yeah. not know how to make an RPG? There were so many other RPGs around at the time. It was like the golden era of RPGs. Yeah. I don't know. So it's, it's got it's got some blemishes on it. It's nowhere near the perfect game that so many people seem to think it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's I've I've finally succumbed to enjoying it. You just really have to slog through it. You gotta want it through at least the first town. Yeah. At least get it after the first boss. Things start to really get a little bit better since Ness starts getting some pretty powerful psi moves that yeah. you can just use to level things. I, I I did notice I was a little I was excited that they digitized the player's guide that you used to get with the the game. I've been using it, yeah. I need to but uh I thought it was gonna be like some sort of app that you could just pull up on your um gamepad whenever, but I it looks like you have to go through use it through the internet it's browser, just a web, which it's yeah. just scans basically. Right, it's, it's really a PDF. super high quality PDFs of yeah. the image of the guide. It's good. Can I use that on the gamepad while I play the game on the TV? 
No, I don't think no, you can. Oh, you can't. It. It's kind of a bummer. The um the biggest issue with it is that the game the guide is like not is like the least straightforward guide to a game ever. Oh really? It's like actually surprisingly creative. And there's like all sorts of ancillary stuff. And sometimes like there's the main throughput of the guide, and then there's also side panels. Where like they list enemy stats, like the the average HP and attack points that of like any random nice. enemy. But the problem is that sometimes they won't line up because there'll be so many enemies that the the text of the walkthrough like ends. Oh, it doesn't. Still need to fill yeah. two pages worth of enemies, so it gets out of sync sometimes. Oh, that's funny. It's weird. And then some of it is like written like a newspaper, and like there's like little bits and pop-outs of it that are written in all these weird styles. It's an incredibly interesting player's guide. Huh. I actually really enjoy pulling it up and just seeing how weird it is. Cause like if you open a prime guide now, it's like do this and then do this. And now you've beaten the game. Right. This thing is on complete opposite. It's, it's actually like almost more of a companion piece to the game than just straight up walkthrough. Oh, that's cool. Huh? Well, I'll keep playing it. I'm, I'm not enjoying it right now, but, but you're, you've, you've uh, convinced me that I should keep playing. Slog through it for a little bit more, a couple more hours, and see if you end up liking it more. Right on. It only took me, like, four attempts to do that, to finally <laughs> finally make it through the shitty beginning. Cool. I got two little kind of honorable mention games that I want to talk about. Um, first one I want to talk about is Zen Studios Star Wars Pinball, because it was on sale a couple weeks ago, and I bought it. And I'm a sucker for digital pinball games, and I think you are too, right, Zach? Uh, not as much as you'd think, but I do like them. I, I feel like I like who digital likes pinball them, more than real pinball. Let's say that. Okay. It's yeah. There somehow is less stress involved in it. Cause you can just keep playing yeah. forever. Essentially. Exactly. You can actually learn the board without spending a ton of money. Yeah. What's we have an arcade here in town. It's actually a, a video game repair shop that is in our art park, which is like the coolest thing. Wow. And they're open. They're open two days. A, uh, a month on, and they just put everything in there on free play. And it's really small. They've got like maybe a dozen games that people are just working on because they have all the tools to fix them. So they've always, but they've got like six or seven pinball machines at any given time that are nice. always on free play on those days. So I go down there all the time and I played ACDC pinball for like an hour straight <laughs> last week. I went to the Pinball Hall of Fame in uh, Las Vegas. That was really fun. Well, you tell we're old because we like pinball. <laughs> We're not, we're not even from the generation of people who really like pinball. We're their kids. Yeah, that's true. I still really fucking like pinball. <laughs> uh, but Star Wars pinball is pretty good. Um, it's got Empire Strikes Back table, which is probably the best one, though it's also probably the hardest it one. Um, it's got a Clone Wars level based on the animated series, which is surprisingly good. Um, I'm not a big fan of anything prequel related, though I do know that Clone Wars is the series is probably the best prequel thing that has been made. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a Boba Fett machine, which is all right. Do you get to whack IG-88 with a ball? I don't think you do, Ugh. actually. That's kind of a bummer. But anyways, I like pinball games. If you like pinball games, you would probably like Star Wars <laughs> pinball. I don't know what it is about digital pinball too, where you can just sink into it for like hours and hours yeah, and yeah. hours and like get into, you get into grooves with it and then yeah. you fall out of it and they're like, I'm going to go to another table. I don't know. It's kind of, it's almost meditative. I got totally addicted to Metroid Prime pinball. And I never played that and I oh, really wish so I had. Oh, so good. And I'll never find it. It's one of the few games that you can't like 
play on a 3DS, right? Yeah, that's true. Or no, you just can't use the rumble. You, you can't, can't use, use the, the rumble, rumble yeah. It doesn't matter. The rumble is more of an irritating vibration anyway. Maybe I'll find a used copy of it. Oh, you should. I wish I could download it. Yeah, right? Um, But yeah. Uh, I I also got really addicted to Zen Zen Pinball 2, which I don't understand why the Star Wars tables aren't just DLC for that, but whatever. Yeah, I thought they were going to be. I thought they were too, and I guess they're not. I don't don't know. It was on sale, so I bought it. Yeah. And it's good. And then I also got NES Remix um, with some weren't eShop credit, and it's good... I, it's good, but it's not like great. It's it's fifteen dollars. It's, it's I feel too I only paid ten. Yeah. I only paid ten for it because I got a five dollar credit for buying Mario 3D World on the eShop, which I love how you can just essentially get five dollars off of every game. Yeah, that's if you true. Just yeah, keep putting the credit forward towards the next retail game. But I put it towards NES Remix, so I got it for ten dollars, and I like it. It's fun. Um, it's not perfect, and it's not quite as quite as good as I thought it was going to be, but I enjoy it. Uh, oh, sorry. I think some of the physics in those old games, like especially the original Mario Brothers, kind of sucks. And it really yeah. kind of makes a lot of the missions a lot harder than they need to be. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has to work within the confines of its material, and that's not always the best. Like, the original Mario Brothers, the, you know, the arcade game, is... Yeah. The physics on it are so wonky. Like, with turning and jumping, it's, it, it does not react quick enough to my button presses. Yeah, me neither. I really like the remix levels where the game slowly zooms out into a grid of itself. And every time, like, you complete whatever the task is, like, kill all the enemies. Every time you kill an enemy, it zooms back in just a little bit more to help you out. And oh, yeah. Sometimes yeah. you'll get... To, sometimes I've gotten down to the end of it where I'm trying to kill the last enemy, and they'll be like... 50 of the game that I'm playing on the screen and I'm trying to focus on just the one that I've been watching the whole freaking time and it's so tiny and I can barely see it. It's And then I'll get it. And I'm like, yes. That's after like 30 attempts at failing. I just wish, I wish it were like SNES Remix because those games are bad. Yes. Oh, why can't it be SNES? Or why can't it be later half of the NES's life Remix? <laughs> well, this is what they do first before they get to the really good stuff. Like, I, I don't mind them using this as a base to just learn what they're doing. If like, they're because smart... these games are a lot simpler than a lot of the later NES games and especially some of the Super NES games. This game is interesting because it's just $15, but I think if Nintendo was smart, they would have given you, like, three to five games for free and then just made a shitload yeah. of DLC that you could buy for it. Yeah. Like, just tons and tons and tons and tons of games and remix packs that you could buy for it. What I will say about this game is I loved it when it came out, and if over a few days I three-starred every single level and got about 17 and a half hours in it. Damn. And I was even I was even one of those people during the staff deliberations who was fighting for this to be one of the ten games of the year. Damn. And you know what game it would have replaced? It would have probably replaced Pokemon if it got through. Damn. But wow. a few weeks later, I've totally forgot most of yeah, the game. Yeah, see, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be fun next time I've got some friends over to like break out some beers and just everyone's drinking beers and then you just pass it and everyone there you like, go. does a level, does a level, does a level. It is kinda really kind of like it's got that warrior vibe. Yeah. It's got a little bit of Especially it. the remix levels. Yeah. I mean, the more times people say that this is like 9-volt put into a video game, the more I actually want a 9-volt-themed WarioWare. Yeah, that's all. That's the only part of WarioWare I really want. Those are the retro games. Oh, yeah, those are the best ones. 
Yeah. It is 9 volt, right? Yeah, it's 9 volt. Okay. And his big brother, 18 volt. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, those are my two honorable mentions. Uh, What do you got, Alex? I got one. I have been playing also as part of the PSN 14 for 14 sale. The Wolf Among Us, the telltale follow-up to The Walking Dead, widely considered by many to be 2012's Game of the Year. I don't know if I agree, but I thought it was really, really damn good. And The Wolf Among Us, like The Walking Dead, is really, really damn good. It does the same thing. It's very much an adventure game, kind of more of a visual novel, where you go through a story, you interact with characters, and you make a ton of choices that impact the story in some form. And the premise of this game is that you are the big bad wolf in a world of fairy tales. And basically the fairy tales got exiled from fairy tale world, and they're all living and they're all living in the poor part of New York City, and no one can basically know that they're fairy tales. So it's these weird it's these weird modernized versions of fairy tale characters that still are entirely reminiscent of the Brothers Grimm versions of a lot of these fairy tales. And it's based on a comic book, so you would think it's you have to read these comic books, but I haven't. I haven't read the original Fables comic books, and I could uh, understand the story just fine. Instead of it being a survival kind of game like The Walking Dead about like human drama, it's very much a mystery detective kind of game where you're trying to solve crimes as uh, Big B Wolf, who is basically the sheriff holding all these guys under control. And I think one of my favorite parts about the game is how it does portray all these guys. Like, you would think the Lumberjack's the good guy and the Big Bad Wolf is the asshole, but it's actually reversed. The, uh, the Lumberjack is a mean drunk who is like who hits women and stuff, and the big bad wolf is actually the nicer guy. And there's actually one moment where it explains that the way you actually understand the original uh, wolf and lumberjack story was completely backwards. And it does these things where it plays with a lot of your expectations of these fairy tales in a modern, grim, Walking Dead-style setting. And I think that's really cool. So are- It's dark... It's very engaging. So do you yeah. do you do you play as a werewolf, a guy who's a werewolf? You don't do werewolf things. You do very human things in a human world with this fairy tale premise being uh, oh, okay. I see blanketed what you're saying. over yeah. it. Okay. So he at at no point does he um uh go play basketball as a wolf man? No. No. He doesn't do that. Okay. He uh he he might he wolfmans it a little a little. But uh I, I seriously think if you're sick of waiting two to three months for <laughs> an, another episode of The Walking Dead Season 2, this might be a little bit of a shill thing to say, but if you like The Walking Dead, you're going to like The Wolf Among Us. And if you get the season passes for both of these, you're really only going to have to wait like a month or so between a new episode of really good Telltale content. Gotcha. Hmm. Yeah, I almost, I, I, I almost got the... Uh... Walking Dead uh, on Vita when it was like five bucks for the whole season. <laughs> that would have been a good deal. I didn't because it's like I'm so against zombie media right now. I'm just in kind of a rebellion stage that it could have been free and I probably wouldn't have downloaded it. But 
Uh, I do think it's funny, Alex, that that's on a lot of people's games of the year because everyone else's game of the year is another zombie game that uh, came out on PS3. So can I make a quick, very quick case to you about why The Walking Dead is good? Sure. Just as opposed. Okay, so I know zombies, they're popular right now, whatever. This is based on a gritty comic book series from 2003. Right. I don't know if zombies were still very popular around then. Uh, but anyways, the reason this game works is because it's not about the zombies. It's about the people who live in the zombie world, and it's about the people and their realistic experiences that people like us might be going through if we had the skills of survival and we were actually alive during a realistic zombie apocalypse. And it's not the interactions with zombies that are so crazy or so gritty. It's actually the interactions with other human survivors who are also trying to survive. Yeah. And okay. I think that's why it works as an adventure game, because it's about the people. Yeah. Yeah, all right. If it's on sale, I think it's prob- I think it still is on sale, actually. I think the whole month it's on sale. Oh, really? Isn't it? It's part of the 14 of 14, isn't it? Yeah, is that the whole month? I, I think so. I'm not positive. If it is, if it is, then you should get The Walking Dead, The Wolf Among Us, and <laughs> Epic Mickey 2 on PlayStation Vita. <laughs> No, I, I, I actually cleaned up on that sale. I got Thomas Was Alone, which is very good. And, uh, uh, God, something else. Oh, the Muramasa, that wasn't on sale, though, the Muramasa DLC. And uh, Tales of Zillia. And you know what? I'm going to talk about Tales of Zillia instead of Rayman Legends, because Tales of Zillia. All right, bring us home. It really surprised me. I wasn't going to get it, but one of my Twitter friends, uh, Richard, uh, Richard O'Shea, who I played Dragon's Crown with, he was like, dude, you've got to get Tales of Zillia. You will love it. What are you doing? And I said, tell you what, dude, if you, you know, if you pony it up, I'll, I'll buy it because it was $10 down from like 30 And uh, he did it. He PayPal'd me 10 bucks, And I was like, all right, I guess I'll play it. And it's really fun. Um, it is only my second Tales game. My first one was Symphonia on the GameCube. And I didn't really get very far in it because it didn't click with me. I didn't understand it back then. Uh, but I, I think I understand it now. It's, it's, you know, it's an RPG with, um, a real, an active battle system where you're controlling the character, um, and you're kind of using magic and physical attacks and, and teaming up with AI characters to fight bad guys. And it's really fun. And the main girl is really cute. So I got her swimsuit DLC costume. So, you know, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I, I I can't turn down you know a ten dollar RPG so or one that's free one one my friend pays for it so I like it I mean <laughs> I don't know if you guys are Tales fans but it's worth ten dollars it's a big ass game though holy crap it's like six point eight gigs I had to do a lot of fridge cleaning <laughs> quick correction uh, the fourteen for fourteen sale was going through. January 20th, which is ah, three days ago damn. from today. Uh, I checked in. Walking Dead Vita is $20 again. Uh, maybe it'll go on sale at another point, or maybe you have a PS, uh, a PC in Steam, and it'll probably go on sale once every two weeks. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Zach. That's all right. No, that's cool. That's there. good to know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, Tales of Zillia is really fun, and uh, the there's already, I think, two or three figures of the main girl. I might actually buy one someday. (laughs) 
That's how I judge a game. Has it has it produced any figures that I would buy? It must be a good game. It must be a good game if there are figures that you yeah. would buy. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's nice to know what you value most. Exactly. <laughs> I guess we'll end it here. Uh, thank you guys for listening to our What We've Been Playing segment. Um, we probably plugged it before, but seriously, send us listener mail. I will I will read anything. Anything. <laughs> promise. You will. Within, within very, very broad reason, I will read anything. <laughs> so, Alex, uh, Zach, thank you guys for joining me, and we will talk to you guys later. Cool. Bye. Bye. Peace. segment of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, today I'm joined by Don Koopman. Hello. Hello. It, it, it feels like we're recording like a weekly occurrence now. Yeah, it, it's probably been a few consecutive episodes now, I think, where we've done some stuff, so yeah, you're like you're like a regular on the show now, I guess. Fantastic. Um, can I call me yourself that? <laughs> <laughs> you can put that on you can put that on your business card, Connectivity Regular. Um, this week there's no, no fancy game show or anything like that, which, which by the way, I'm glad everyone liked that. Um, once again, Don worked really hard on that and I'm, I'm glad it turned out well. Uh, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you should do it because it was a lot of fun. But this week we are talking about Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, a game our own Don has been playing. Yes, um, yes. So Don, you've had the game for what, about a week now? Uh, Maybe even less than uh, five days? Five days now, yeah, five, five days. days. Um, there's things he can't talk about and things he can't talk about, but he can pretty much talk about, I think, almost about the first half of the game entirely without any restriction, it sounds like. Yeah, I can, I can talk about the first four worlds and then specific levels of the two worlds after that because they were shown at, like, the VGX and, like, the Nintendo Direct. Oh, okay, so some later levels you can talk about just because they've already been shown. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And you can talk about every character, um, and everything like that, so... I guess we should just jump right in, mm-hmm. and I guess my first thought is, how does it feel compared to Donkey Kong Country Returns? I mean, is it is it very much, the, I mean, the, the same game with new levels? Are there any improvements gameplay-wise, like right off the bat? Um. So, there. yes and no. It feels pretty much like a follow-up to Donkey Kong Country Returns, which... Is to say that is not necessarily a bad thing because that was a good game. Um, though they have removed like the blowing mechanic. That's not longer here now. That's completely gone. Oh, that's um, good. and so only the, when you use the remote and uncheck, it's only used for like, uh, rolling about and do those very specific things. Uh, so even who like the motion controls, it's a little bit less taxing. Um, overall, like the game 
the game structure has not changed, like how the game plays. Um, but of course, you have the new uh, partner characters in the form of like Dixie and uh, Cranky, uh, who are now part of the main experience, you could say. Uh, and basically, you switch between those three characters, like Diddy, Cranky, and Dixie, to help you out across levels and defeat this time a new enemy. Because there's no longer, no longer the Tiki's, which I'm actually kind of glad about, because I kind of didn't like the Tiki's. <laughs> I didn't either. I'm always surprised they didn't just go back to, to K. Rule. Um, well, I get that they, they kind of want to stray away from like rare characters, actually, and I feel that that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. But in, in the grand scheme of Nintendo universes in the modern day, I don't think the Tiki's were that great. No. Um, they were a bit similar in tone, all of, all of them together, and they were a bit generic. Um, which, to my surprise here, the Snowmats, uh, the Snowmats of the North Sea, which is the new villain in this game, uh, they are actually pretty good. I mean, they have a lot of personality to them, and they're all like based on various animals, which makes me actually more happy and more excited about them. Because, um, like... The original Donkey Kong Country Returns was just restricted to, like, the animals that were on Donkey Kong Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and did cause some issues because you couldn't do anything that was kind of out of place. Um, while in Tropical Freeze, they went kind of outside that border, and I kind of like it for that. So we see some things that are sort of unique to Donkey Kong at this point, at least in terms of the, the enemies and stuff. Yeah, because... You have walruses, you have penguins, you have owls. It's um, it's more of a variety there, which I like. Um, especially if we're ever world having a theme now, because with Donkey Kong Country Returns, again, it was constrained to Donkey Kong Island. Um, it was mostly this ju- jungle atmosphere with a few variations here and there. And with Tropical Freeze now, every world has a theme. It has one main central theme, and that's important to note because that's how the game is changed up. It's not like in the basic gameplay mechanics, it's in the overall structure and how the game is in itself. And so the game's not like entirely covered in ice, because when I hear Tropical Freeze, it just makes me think every level is going to be an ice level, but so that's not the case. Well, my my favorite joke is calling it Tropical Smoothie, but there you go. Um, (laughs) There, No, there's just one... Um, world really covered in ice, and I can only talk about one level about that, and that's like Donkey Kong Island itself, which is um, Homecoming Hijinks. That's actually the ice world. Uh, when you at the, see at the beginning of the game when the the snowmats attack, they cover an entire Donkey Kong Island in ice, and that's what you encounter towards the end of the game. Okay, okay. Um, so speaking about those environments, ha- is there any any themes that are, are very much unique to Donkey Kong. I mean, is there something we haven't seen before in, in any of the games? Um, again, yes and no. Um, they're not necessarily unique to, like, the old Donkey Kong Country games, but they are certainly unique to Tropical Freeze. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and they weren't there at all in Returns. Um, which, again, it's the big difference. Um, so, one of the environments that struck me as the most interesting, uh, two of them actually, uh, one of them is a more of a safari environment. Um, so it it, had, it takes a lot of, like... The music had, had personally to me, somewhat of a Lion King influence. Okay, I like that. 
it, it was very like with the 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 chorus um, um, singing melodically in the background. It was very smooth in music. Really loved that. Um, but the the level things in the, in those levels are also really clever. Like you have this uh, fruit that you have to pick up, and it um, distinguishes water. So there there are some puzzle play with that, for example. Um, and then with the other world that I found really interesting was actually an underwater world. Um, well, more of a beach world, but mostly of the levels take place underwater. And we haven't, we didn't see a single underwater level in Returns. That's right. So, no. so it was for me very interesting that we got a whole entire world dedicated to that. And the surprising part about it is, is that those levels actually work really, really well. Um, there's one level in particular that comes to mind where you get chased by this gigantic octopus and he, at every step of the way, tries to attack you. Uh, so there's always this tension going on of um, trying to to come to save yourself from any obstacle that come across and uh, the testicles of the octopus, which is makes it super, super fun. Hmm. And... Related to that, because like you, I was surprised there weren't any water levels in Returns, because those are some of my favorite levels in the original Donkey Kong games, um, both because of music and because of the actual construction of the levels. Um, we've seen that Rambi returns, who I want you to talk about, but is he the only animal that returns? I mean, I, I used to always love the, I don't remember his name, but like the, the swordfish that you'd ride in Donkey Kong Country, I think the second one, I don't know if he was in the first one. Um, but no, he's, he's, he's it, not in the game, correct? No, just Rambi. Um, and I feel that Remby is also really underused in the game itself. Oh, really? Yeah, I think there are just a couple of levels with him in him. Hmm. So there's the clear, not a big focus on um, animal characters in this game. That's so weird, because I think, when I think of Donkey Kong Country, that's kind of one of the first things that pops into my head, is like those support animal characters that you would ride. Um, so it's and weird that, that now two games in a row they've kind of stayed yeah. away from that. And um, Squawks is still there, like the the parrot, who is still like there, like just like a country returns to help you find puzzle pieces. Oh, but right, right. Those those are the only two animals, and they were also pretty much also a bit in the original returns. So nothing much has changed on that front, really. Um, and and the barrel, the rocket barrel levels are back. The minecart levels are back, but those. Those are more interesting because of the camera's perspectives that they've introduced in... Oh, in, yeah, uh, talk a little shop. bit about that. Yeah, because that's something they've been really high on, is, like, this sort of dynamic camera that will, uh, like, shift perspective as you're playing through levels. Yeah, I, I mean, so what they've done is that they basically turn it into a 2.5D platformer where there are elements in the environments that go, like, a bit more 3D-ish than a regular 2D platforming game. Which we have seen like more a lot of in the last couple of years, those two elements mixed together. But it's unique to Donkey Kong as they have never really done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not overly used, I should say. But what I found interesting, and this again, this counts for the minecart and the rocket barrel levels. They use those elements incredibly well. The same goes for the minecart. They have one particular level where... You have to jump from rail to rail and do this like in a very quick fashion or else you would ram into things. And they use that camera perspective to make you aware and make you quickly shift those tracks. So um, 
in those examples, it's really used effectively, but it's not used in every single like level. And sure. when it's, but when it's used, it's it's pretty neat for the most part. That's cool. Well, on that same tip, um, how does the game look? Because I thought Donkey Kong Country Returns was probably the the best looking 2D platformer on on Wii. I felt, especially at least just of the Nintendo, you know, Return to Dreamland and New Super Mario Brothers Wii. I thought Donkey Kong was the best looking. So I'm I'm absolutely looking forward to seeing this. You know game in HD on the Wii U. Um, does it look much better? I mean... So, if you look at the backgrounds in the game, definitely. Those backgrounds have a lot more going on into them. You can see little details here and there. Um, it's incredible what, what you will see in there. But the foreground, nothing much has changed in comparison to, like, Returns. Which which is not necessarily a bad thing, because Returns was already a good-looking game. Um... But um, you'll see more of the more sparkling and new details you will see in those backgrounds. Um, and one of the levels that instantly stood out to me in that front was um, in the first world. So you have also these um, unlockable stages now in every single world. Um, three of them, in fact. And you have to find these through secret exits. Oh. And... Like, the second one that I unlocked in the first world was this silhouette level, like the, the ones in Returns. But mm-hmm. instead of, like, this um, seaside environment, it was this jungle environment, and there were overall these planes, uh, these, tr- these plane racks from the first level, which we've seen from the E3 demo. Um, and these pretty much will break apart around you, and it calls for some pretty neat effects in that silhouette mode. And it it makes those more like effective events, like seeing enemies walk about and see them, them trying to come at, to confront you more like interesting in that silhouette mode. Um, so again, th- they put more effort into the t- details, and that makes me like very. It made me very excited to play them. It, it's 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 not al- always that every level was like insanely like interesting to play like the most of the levels that i played were fun don't get me wrong but there were a couple where i fought from then this is okay but it, it, it but this one-off idea i don't really like because every single level contains this sort of one-off idea sure um but some of them like in um the fifth world that's the only level i can talk about that world uh which was i think talked about in nintendo Rex, i might be wrong it was called uh, jelly jamboree where you would jump, where you would pretty much jump from jelly to jelly, um, from gelatine to gelatine, and um, what what you would do is you have to make very really precise jumps and go through this this fruity factory to survive, um, and those kind of one of ideas really make the game shine. When when it's kind of underutilized, you you kind of tilt your head and say why, <laughs> right. Um, another one of those like really good ideas is like that you, in one particular level in the second world, is that you jump from zip line to zip line, um, and keep going like a fer- in a very rhythmic fashion. Uh, you could call it a bit like uh, of those musical levels in um, Rayman Legends. For is there's more on, like a focus on platforming than anything else. Oh okay. Um, but there are some like really cool elements in in those levels, and I really really like those. Uh, in some ways, I like them more than than Donkey Kong Country Returns. Not all of them, but but through the variety, uh, it made me less care if a level wasn't always good enough. 
Because you were almost immediately to something new and different. Yeah. Oh, well, that makes sense. Um, a couple things. Well, first of all, the roll attack. I assume that's been assigned to a button now instead of shaking the controller. Well, yeah. On the it's if you are if you played the 3DS remake of Donkey Country Returns, right? Um, which they they did that too. Yeah. Yeah, you will feel directly at home with using the gamepad or the pro controller. Okay. Um. Funny that we bring up the the Wii U gamepad here. Um, I know you had something you wanted to talk about, so go ahead because this is yeah. interesting. So when you play on a television, um, there's nothing shown on the gamepad screen. Hmm. Um, that's kind of interesting because it's, uh, to my knowledge, this is the first game that has done this. I don't recall any of Nintendo's games doing this in particular. But yeah, if you're playing on a television, there's no information on the screen. There's nothing you can um, choose or optionalize. There's nothing there. It's just a blank screen. So weird. That that I think you're right. That's got to be... I can't think of another game that hasn't even displayed like at least like the game's name or something. I mean... God bless people who like the cave. I didn't like the cave as much, but even the cave had let, let you choose between different characters. Yeah. And it, it, even that was super static, but at least it was something. Right. Uh, here on this screen, there is absolutely nothing. Which and, is weird. That's not. It's not like a bad thing necessarily, but it is peculiar. Well, in one way, it is because it didn't make me want to use the Wii U gamepad. Oh, like you would have. You would have rather just used uh, like a regular Pro controller. Yeah, because I, I usually use now the Wii Remote and Nunchuck, which I'm used to with, with returns. Um, and I, I use, occasionally use the Pro Controller, but I never found myself like picking up the gamepad because I, I felt awkward having this gigantic controller with nothing on it. Right. It, it just felt a very alien feel. And I didn't play it like off TV as much because I want to be impressed more with how the game looks on the television. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't have much use for off-TV play, and I barely touched the gamepad in this instance, <laughs> which, for a selling point of a console, that is not necessarily a good thing. Right, you have this giant first-party game that now you, it makes no use of it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I don't know, and, I don't know, it's kind of weird. I, I guess on one hand, I'm glad that there's nothing, like, forced in that doesn't need to be there, you know, like, at least there's not some use of the, like, the touchscreen that doesn't really benefit you at all. I mean, I think of, like, Mario 3D World and how you could use the touchscreen to kind of reveal hidden blocks. It's like, yeah, I guess that's neat, but it doesn't add anything for me. Yeah, I guess so. But at the same time, it would have been nice to, like, quickly select a level or something like that. Right. So among those lines. Because you ha- you have always have to walk across the, 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 the map screen, which, um, it, it's a bit slow. Yeah. I mean, it's not exactly ideal, but it's at least static then. Than return than returns ever was because you would just have a gigantic uh, Donkey Kong coin floating above those levels, which this time it's an actually Donkey Kong model. Oh, okay. So it, it is less less static than it was before. Yeah. Um, uh, one th- another thing that um, kind of irked me, which I, I can talk about things that irked me in one go, so why not move on about that? Sure. Um, loading times. Um, so, uh, you can read it in my preview that I wrote on the site, but, um, so, I, I recognized this after playing for a while, that 
the loading times between levels and going back to the to the map screen are kind of long. Really? They're 14 seconds long. Wow, that is actually pretty long. <laughs> if if I hop into a level, um, I have to wait 14 seconds for it to load. If I go back to the map screen, 14 seconds. It it never changes. I timed it. It's almost the exact same time every single time. Huh? There's no variables there. It's almost. What do you um? What do you what do you see while it's loading? Well, Doug Young and his uh, partner walking across the screen in in, an, uh, in the in the similar fashion like they did in uh, the 3DS and Wii game. Hmm. Um, so it's 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 the static. It's like the the almost static loading screen that we saw in the previous games. That uh, that reminds me of something I liked that Rayman Legends did, where in those little brief loading screens there would sometimes be those health power ups, and so it would kind of give you something to. Uh, to kind of mess around with and try to grab while uh, while you're waiting for the game to load. There, I there, thought that was a nice. Yeah, touch. There, there's nothing some there's nothing like that in uh, in uh, Tropical Freeze. Wow. Well, I guess at this point, long load times has sort of become synonymous with Wii U between Lego City and then just the Wii U. Uh, well, the Wii U, the Wii U has become quicker now. <laughs> oh well, yeah, God, yes, yeah. it's still much, yeah. it's much faster, but it's still but, it's still uh, a little slow. That's an interesting point. The only game I can de- compare these loading screens to is actually Lego City Undercover, <laughs> and that's not something you want to be compared to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, for me, it's actually the most irritating problem from the entire game. I mean. Uh, like, for example, when I'm mid-level and I don't have a partner anymore and I know the rest of the level where I doesn't have a partner barrel, I feel a bit discouraged to finish it that way, so I, I usually move out and and select, like, a, a partner barrel you can buy from a Cranky Kong shop. Um, but it will take, like, additional, like, seconds to do that. So I would move out of the game 14 seconds, apply the item, and go back to level another 14 seconds. So I would take roughly a minute to set myself up for for another right. go on that level, which is kind of a pain, yeah. Yeah, which it, it's 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 kind of annoying. I mean, at some at some point, I wish they would have thought this through a little bit better. But um, yeah, there you go. Um, um, one thing you mentioned that I was going to ask you about um, way, way earlier, uh, like probably the first few minutes we were talking about uh, the game, but you can switch um, partner characters on the fly? No, no, no. Those, okay. Those are, those are, those are done through barrels. And there are specific instances where usually when you come across them, um, they, they will switch between, they will flip around through the three characters, and when you pick it up, it will lock it to that character. Then you throw it, and the partner character will come out, will hop on your back, and you you fly off into the distance. Um, when you, however, see only one character popping up and it doesn't change around, it usually means you have to use that partner that character's ability to get you across like the environment that's up ahead of you. Like you will see like this very um, like very forest-filled level um, early on. So you are pretty much locked to Cranky Kong as you can use his, his, his cane to hop across that environment. Hmm. You know, I kind of like the idea of needing certain characters to get through certain challenges, but on the other hand, I don't know, I'm, I always kind of like the idea of just being able to pick a character you like and just play the whole game as like, well, uh, you, that you, character. Well, you could, you, could, you could still do that and bring a character however you please into a level. Um, they only like give you subtle hints that it might be better to use that character. But if you 
are not interested and just want to press on with the character you have, that's totally fine. Oh, so so even though it would be easier with Cranky, you could get through with anybody else. Um, is what you're saying, or no? It, it depends. Um, if if you played well, I, I particularly want to mention Dixie for that because Dixie is pretty much usable for any level. Well, I would say. think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While Diddy, if you would come there with Diddy, and there's an option for Cranky Kong, I would possibly consider switching it. Okay. Because. Of course, Diddy has his rocket pack because he can only glide for a certain amount of time. Where you, with with uh, Cranky, you can uh, um, pogo with the A button and you can press again to pogo again. So you can go on for infinitely longer right, than, as long as you than, keep pressing it, yeah. than than with Diddy. So there are there are elements there that makes some using some characters in some instances possibly a little bit better. Sure. And then um, what about, I don't know if you've done much of the multiplayer, but if you're playing two-player, does one of you always have to be Donkey Kong? Well, yeah, pl- pl- player one has always has to be Donkey Kong. Okay, I thought that was the case, but I was secretly hoping where I could just play it like it was Donkey Kong Country 2 and just have myself be like Diddy and my wife be Dixie or something like that. <sighs> That's sadly not the case. <laughs> they um, they build those levels specifically around Donkey Kong and another character. Um, going back to uh, Cranky Shop because we mentioned that for a few moments ago. Um, Cranky Shop has just the usual items like um, uh, getting your red balloons for for lives and all of these other stuff. But there's something peculiar in his uh, little shop, which is um, you can buy figurines to collect. Oh yeah, I saw this. Yeah, um, when you Spend, I think, five banana coins. I'm doing this from the top of my head, by the way. Um, five banana coins. You get a figurine. This could be an enemy. This could be a character, one of the Kongs. This could be, like, an item you encounter in the game. This could be anything. It could be a big surprise to you. But to avoid spoilers, they made sure that um, you can only unlock stuff that you already have encountered in the game. Oh, that's nice. You don't like you don't unlock like a boss character you haven't even seen yet or something. Yeah. Uh, for early on, that will also result you in getting a lot of doubles, and doubles is something because you haven't seen a lot yet. Yeah. yeah. And that means that you would be basically wasting those banana coins. So it's something that is better to do later on, and focus your efforts more on finding those hidden levels in every single world. Again, there are three of them, so there's plenty enough. And you can, so clearly, and you can clearly see them on the map screen uh, to the level they're next located with, so you can easily spot where you have to go to find them. You know, that's kind of nice, because you know, like playing something like New Super Mario Bros. U or something, you know there's hidden worlds, but it's not always clear what world connects to it. So I kind of like that, that at least it's narrowed down so you know where you need to go. Um, you know, something like... Super Mario World, the the level would blink a different color. I think it'd blink red to let you know there were, like, two exits. And I like that. So you, at least you know where to, to focus your efforts rather than, like, thinking, well, it could be any freaking level. <laughs> yeah, but at least in uh, in Tropical Freeze, you get a physical clue that it's there. Yeah. Like, there's a bit of the environment that is next to it, and there's, of course, the, the button for the level. So you get a pretty clear indication that the level before it is the level you have to go for to, to sure. find the, this hidden level. Which um, makes it uh, less taxing for ha- finding those secret exits is still a challenge. I mean, I only found like three or four of them. 
Okay. And, and it nearly comes close to finding every single like secret exit at all. Um, so I'll be busy with that for quite a while longer. Yeah. Um, but um, but is interesting about the secret. So again, you have the the DK letters, which I'm not sure what they will be used for in the end yet. So I can't also not tell you. Um, but of course, the puzzle pieces unlock like again illustrations and all of that good stuff. And, oh, nice! Yeah. And and if you after you complete a world, it will also unlock a bit of the soundtrack for you. So huh. that's that's also another bad thing. Well, I want to ask you about that. You you touched on that earlier, but to me, Donkey Kong Country Returns the soundtrack was nowhere near as good as the classic Donkey Kong Country games. Um, I know you said that the Safari World was a little bit inspired by Lion King, but as a whole, how do you feel about the music in Tropical Freeze? I feel better about the music in Tropical Freeze than I did about Donkey Kong Country Returns, that's for sure. Good. good. Uh, I, I can't really still say for sure if I like it more than the older games, mm-hmm. but it's good music. I'll, I like the music. Um, there's one track I want to put more focus on is that, of course, David Price has come back as the composer for this game. Um, after doing the original trilogy at at Rare, um, which is kind of impressive that they brought him back. Yeah, uh, don't get me wrong. Um, but what's super interesting is that they remixed uh, Aquatic Ambience. I was going to ask you if they had the the music back from the water stage. That's awesome. Is it good? It, it's 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 insanely good. Oh man, that's probably what I'll use to intro this segment. I bet I can find it um, on YouTube already. But so, but so the soundtrack as a whole is is improved over returns. Uh, definitely, there's definitely with the 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 variety of the levels. There's also a variety of of the soundtrack, which makes the game to me overall better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, like the the two worlds that I didn't touch upon, like the first world is just the introduction world. Like we in, saw the levels um, at E3, they're, they're a bit more to introduce yourself to the game. And, right. this, and the second world is this more of an alpine world, where you have like a lot of windmills. You have a lot of um, environmental puzzles that play around um, in the air and more uh, windy environments. So there's a, a lot of variety there. I like it. Okay, awesome. Um, well, I think I'm pretty much out of questions. I mean, is there anything left? Any details you want to talk about or? Um, let me quickly think. <laughs> and the big thing for me was, like, music and being able to press a button to roll. So you tell me those are in there, and I'm I'm pretty much sold, so. <laughs> yeah, I I, am, I, uh, I usually use, again, use the remote and uncheck because that's what I like, but I, uh, I, t- I totally get your point, though. I mean, I guess, I think, I feel that some, some people don't like that, and I, again, that's totally fine. I, I, I don't have any, like, bad harm towards you, but, um... Using the remote nunchuck for me felt more involving. If you get what I, uh, what I get, what I mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I like the physical sense of of rolling myself through the level. Yeah. Um. And again, I, I completely understand why people don't like it. I did. I liked it again here. Even even though I understand, I also hated the blow mechanic. But hey, that's gone now. Congrats. <laughs> to, to think about anything else that I did not like or liked, I think I feel that I'm pretty much uh, done with saying it all. Um, if I missed anything, 
Which again, it, it, that is completely possible. Um, we're doing just just from the top of our heads. Right. Um, there is a fifteen hundred word preview uh, on the site. Oh, there you go. Which you can read. It's pretty lengthy. It's one of the longest previews I've done for NVR, I think. Uh, but I, I wanted to make that long because I have a lot of have a lot of things to say. Um, and there is also another article uh, where you can find seven videos of the game. So some of the levels that we discussed, including also like a barrel level, which just completely focuses on on a barrel movement, and also a boss, which we didn't really talk about, but I don't want to spoil those too much. If you want to watch it, watch it at your own risk. But there you go. Um, the, and uh, I must say the bosses are also pretty much improved from uh, Donkey Kong Country. Oh, terms. good. Good. Yeah. I feel that they're more inventive, especially with the the themes they're going for here. So, and and they fit the themes really well in the levels. So, there you go. Um, but yeah, all of those, um, all of that's good stuff. So, 14 minutes of videos, 1500 article. You can read those on the site. You can watch those on the site. Um, if you want more. Um, but I think that we are done. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah, so like Don said, be sure to read his uh, his written preview, which is now up uh, by the time you're listening to this. It is great. Yeah, and, of course, the video post. Video post and the preview, can, you can just click on my name and the staff thing or just look at the country returns. On the, I think you can look at the profile page and find them. Could uh, you put those all up on the Nintendo World Report YouTube page? Or is it is it your uh, personal page? It, it's my personal page, but there is a post up on the site. Okay. So if, all you follow, the videos. if you subscribe to Don on YouTube, you can find him that way, or you can go through Nintendo World Report, whatever floats your boat. And then I'm glad the review will come sometime in February. So, um, yeah, thank you, Don, for being here and making everyone supremely jealous that you're playing this great game. <laughs> yeah, As I, yeah. I think that's your favorite thing to do on connectivity, is just talk about all the great stuff you get to play, um, which I don't blame you. And, um, yeah, that will do it. So we will talk to everyone later. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. All right, and that will do it for episode 118 of Connectivity. As always, you can send us listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Uh, as you just heard, Mike would very, very much like it if you did that. You should be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. And if you get a chance, follow all of us on Twitter. Go to nintendoworldreport.com, look for the Twitter sidebar on the right-hand side of the page, and you'll find all of our usernames there. We'll see you next week.